On tonight's show, we will go around the NL East and talk through some key fantasy situations, plus waiver wire, pitcher preview, and much more. MLB Network's Ellen Adair returns to the Beat the Shift podcast next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Pretty good. June is upon us. Mets are still uh, still doing strong. It's, I think, their third best start ever. Um, you think our boys can hold us off and uh, make the playoffs? What do you think? I think they could just because the division is so weak. But did you hear the latest news that Noah Syndergaard will not pitch against the Mets this weekend? That they're pushing his start back? Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I'm not sure if that's a uh, if that's a uh, we don't want him to face the Mets. If he's really not helped, who knows? I can't tell these days. But uh, that's that's too bad. I was looking forward to that match. Yes. Yes. Anyways, uh, we will be talking about the NL East today. We have a fantastic guest. You might know her already. Uh, it's Ellen Adair. She's an analyst for MLB Network's Off Base show. Welcome to the Beat the Shift podcast. Ellen Adair, how are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Can I have a thought about the Noah Syndergaard situation? Sure. Yes. I feel like it's intentional. You know, I mean, Noah Syndergaard has been not so great recently. And I feel like they're just sparing him the sort of New York media scrutiny. I sort of feel like the same thing happened with Jared Kelnick. Like, obviously, Jared Kelnick was also not doing so great. But it sort of seems like, hmm, convenient timing. That's yes. my thought. Uh, I would not uh, hold that past anybody. And, you know, uh, I remember when Noah Syndergaard signed with the Angels. So Noah Syndergaard was my wife's favorite player on the Mets. And I remember I found out, you know, uh, morning or whenever it was, and I called her and I said, Robin, you got to you gotta sit down for this one. And I told her, she's like, <laughs> no, no. Uh, such, a, such a travesty. Well, it yeah, may have something to do with hard. their losing streak also. They just don't want extra distractions, I would think. That's my thinking. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. talk a little bit about on the show about uh, the Madden firing and, of course, the Girardi firing, which was uh, close to uh, – Close to uh, Ellen's heart here in uh, in Philly, uh, but uh, bef- before we do that, let's do a little bit of uh, strategy section. And uh, you know, you always have the age old question. You're a Phillies fan, Ellen, and uh, I know you watch quite Alas, a few. Uh, yeah, it is true. <laughs> quite a few Phillies games. Um, when and you also play fantasy baseball as well. When you watch the Phillies, do you ever root against your team if your fantasy players are playing against them? No. I'm always rooting for the Phillies, but I mean, that just could be the, that I am, I'm definitely a sort of just real baseball fan first and a fantasy fan second. Uh, I do, however, if I have someone who is facing the Phillies and they do well, then I do have this little, well, at least I got the goodness for my fantasy team thought. You know, it's sort of an ameliorating factor. It's kind of for me like when the Phillies are playing another team that I like, you know, if if the Phillies are, are playing the Red Sox or they're playing uh, the poor Angels or, you know, the A's or something and and the other team does a good thing, I'm like, well, you know, at least at least it's not the Yankees. 
right. who's doing that thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Ruvain, what about you? Have you ever rooted against your Mets for uh, a player? Wow, he just did a three-run homer. I, I went up four points in my fantasy league. Yippee. Ever do that? No. No. I, I'm always rooting for my home team. Always. There'll be a time if I'm sitting next to someone and say, hey, look, that guy just did the three-run home run. Yeah, he's on my fantasy team. But otherwise, I'm not going to say anything unless, you know, if if you really need, if it's the end of the season and your team is out of it and you're going and you're at the game where you're watching with friends, you can say, you know what, I'm going to root for the, my, for the Mets, but I'm also going to root for my fantasy players. And I want the Mets to win 100 to 99 and hope all the 99 runs are scored by my fantasy players. That's that's the way you have to think about it, that if if your team's going to lose 8 to 7, then you want your guy to hit a 3 and home run, you want your guy to hit the save and everything like that. But if you don't have any stake in it, that the Mets are out of it, which they happen to be a lot, just like your Phillies, if the Mets are out of it, then there's no harm in rooting for your fantasy team, fantasy players on, on, on the other team. Listen, we have had Freddie Freeman, me and you and Ira, we've had Freddie Freeman on our fantasy team for years, for years, and he was a Met killer. Does that mean we're still going to root for Freddie Freeman to beat the Mets? I don't think so. No, but I think it's wise actually to to put someone on your fantasy team that is a frequent killer of your favorite real life team because then you can have that little solace, that little tiny silver lining in the gray cloud. You're like, well, at least, you know, at least I got this for my fantasy team. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for me, I play in a lot of leagues. And when you play in a lot of leagues, you're going to have players from every single team. And f- for me, that's a good thing because I can just safely root for the Mets. And because I know that I have, I've got some Mets on my team. I've got some Braves on my team somewhere. I even have some Yankees on my team uh, other places. Uh, so I have no issue. I just root for my Mets all the way there. When I first started playing fantasy, I was a little bit conflicted. Oh, no. Do I root for this guy or not? But over the years, I just root for my, my Mets. And, you know, I will say, though, that I know there are a bunch of fantasy analysts and a bunch of baseball analysts that don't have a favorite team anymore or they prefer to remain uh, indifferent or neutral uh, in their work. Um, I'm, I'm Not that I'm against that, but I don't believe that. I think that it's, it's a great thing to show my fandom in my work and my writing and uh, in talking about the Mets. I think it just enhances my ability to, to analyze fantasy. Um, let me ask you this, Ellen. Um, how do you think that your own very good in-depth knowledge of your own team, the Phillies, helps you in fantasy? Does that give you a big advantage, especially when picking Phillies and so on and so forth? I think it does, just like I think any amount of in-depth knowledge can help you, as long as we're talking about knowledge and not emotion. Now, I'm not saying that I'm emotionless about choosing my fantasy players, because I'm not. (laughs) But I am saying that you should be. (laughs) So, like, do as I say, not as I do. Um, I definitely think that it can affect you in both or it can affect me in both directions you know where i'm like gosh i'm i'm so frustrated with seeing such and such players strike out a lot and so i don't want them on my fantasy team even if actually they're a pretty good player and it's just like slightly frustrating to watch them or you know conversely i will say i absolutely love watching such and such player pitch and so like i wanted to have him on my fantasy team um but i think the more knowledge that you have in any way, like however you come about that knowledge. And honestly, that's what I love most about fantasy is I feel like it gives me more knowledge about more players and about more teams. And so I think that more knowledge is always a good thing. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, uh, because we do this fantasy thing, we know all the baseball players in baseball. You just have to, right? I, I remember when we, I introduced some friends to the game, they're like, well, I don't know any baseball players. I said, no, no, you play the fantasy baseball, you'll get to know everybody. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. definitely true for them. Well, added on to that, if you're, let's say your team is the Mets, your team is the Phillies, you know also the majority of players in the NL East because they play each team 19 times. So you have the ability to understand other players and, and other prospects on other teams just because you're seeing them so often. And also, if you play in a local league, like let's say you're playing in just a New York league or just uh, any any city league, there you can you can have an advantage by, if it's an auction, nominating certain players locally a local like a new york guy who you wouldn't think would get picked in a normal draft and get them off the board and have someone else fill their roster spot even though the value is not is what not you what you think is not there so you can actually use that to your advantage and milk the hometown and get a hometown player off the board that you wouldn't even think of wanting to have and fill up someone else's roster with it yeah that's absolutely true we uh in our fantasy leagues at home we just the first four rounds just nominated Mets and Yankees, but not really good Mets and Yankees players mm-hmm. who probably only go for three dollars, four dollars, and yet they would go for fifteen uh, just because of, of the fandom. Uh, and speaking of the NL East, uh, our show tonight is the NL East, and uh, Ellen is here to talk about all of those, especially at the top. We'll talk about the Philadelphia Phillies, and let's start with the injury gurus trivia of the week. Well, Alan, we are going to start off talking about the Phillies. So recently, uh, very recently, Joe Girardi was recently fired because his team obviously was not doing that well. Some of his decisions were brought into question. So my question is going to be this, and this is going for a little bit of Phillies history here. Among the last 10 Phillies managers, can you tell me whether or not the manager that I mentioned had a winning career record with the Phillies or a losing career record? Um, this is the last 10 managers, so it's going back pretty far. So the first manager I'm going to mention is uh, Nick Leva. This is back to 89 to 91, and maybe a little bit before your time. Do you think he had a winning record or a losing record with the Phillies? I'm going to say losing. Ariel? <laughs> I would have no idea, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say losing. It's losing. He had a losing record. Next manager, Jim Fergosi. Ellen, winning or losing record, career? I'm going to say losing. Ariel? This is definitely losing here. Well, yes. What are we doing to Ellen here? What is this? Yes. Hold on. Hold on. It gets interesting here. Terry Francona, he did manage the Phillies from 97 to 2001. Did he have a winning record or a losing record? He had a losing record. Losing. Yes, he did. He lost. He had almost an, uh, a difference of 78 games there of losing. Larry Boa, the fa- infamous or famous Larry Boa, did he have a winning record or a losing record as a manager? I'm going to guess that he had a losing record. I'm going to say winning. He he managed in, it went when the Phillies were good, right? He did have a winning record. He no, was he 337 did. and 308. Next manager but, only okay, managed two barely. games. Yes. Next manager only managed two games. That's Gary Varsho. He was his record is 1-1, so that's a pass. The next manager I mean that's great for a Phillies manager though. <laughs> uh, that's 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 <laughs> awesome. That's uh, he's one of the few managers with an above or an, a non non below 500 record. What about Charlie Manuel? Charlie Manuel had a winning record. Yeah, I, I, I'd say for sure. Yes, he had a winning record. He had the most wins by a Phillies manager in their history, 780. What about Ryan Sandberg? Losing. All right, I forgot he was their manager. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll agree I with that. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was Sorry, 40 yeah. games under 500. Pete Mackinnon. Getting McCannon. closer here. McCannon. I'm sorry. Winning no, or losing No, 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 it's fine. A losing. L- losing. Yeah. Of course, losing. Gabe Kapler. Also losing. Yeah, lo- losing as well. He was two games under 500 for his managerial career with the Phillies. And what about the one who just left, Joe Girardi? Winning or losing record? Losing. <laughs> what is the point of this trivia? <laughs> the, point, the point of this trivia is, is that the Phillies have had... Since the last ten managers, their 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 record has been under five hundred. So, what do you think needs well, what are to you change? Rubbing it in it... Ellen's face here. What is this? Yeah, no, no. The, yeah. the question what? is, what needs to change? Do you think with Joe Girardi leaving, are they going to change what their, their the team philosophy? Are they going to do something different going forward? The team are going to try to do something a little different. Are they going to try to change personnel? Are they going to change ma- upper management and more analytics? What do you think? Well, I think that that's what Dave Dombrowski has been tasked to do is just give a sort of complete overhaul of the organization because obviously the Klentak regime was not successful and, you know, the sort of Ruben Amaro regime not necessarily successful either. And I mean, I think that the real issue is not one that an on-field manager can fix and that is that the Phillies just specifically, you know, since the since their sort of mini dynasty of 2007 to 2011 um, have just a very poor history of drafting and specifically player development. I would say player development is really more of the issue even than drafting, um, though that hasn't been great either. So that's obviously, that's not something that the on-field manager can necessarily do anything about. So my main takeaway uh, about Joe Girardi being fired was that them losing wasn't really his fault. Just like, honestly, I didn't think that it was Gabe Kapler's fault either. Um, I just sort of thought, well, what can Girardi do with, with a bullpen that someone has apparently buried a cursed monkey's paw in and what can he do about a team that has been assembled with like three to eight DHs. And so that's, you know, in some ways, that is still my opinion, despite the fact that the Phillies are undefeated in the Rob Thompson area, uh, in uh, the Rob Thompson era, I mean to say. Um, I mean, that said, there were there were certainly some questionable decisions from from Joe Girardi, you know, things that I didn't necessarily agree with. And I understand that, like, hindsight is obviously twenty twenty, but some things that even at the time I was like, what is happening why why is this the decision being made um i think specifically and i think a lot of fans think specifically of the game in atlanta i'm not remembering the exact date of it um where bryce harper had come back and tied the game and then girardi would not put Corey knable in for the save because he has very particular rules about bullpen usage and i think that that was something that irked a lot of people and uh, by a lot of people, I would include Bryce Harper in that statement. Um, I think one of the more telling things about 
Girardi's tenure is not so much the sort of miraculous run that the Phillies have been on, where I've kind of been like, are the Phillies in a baseball movie? What's going on right now? Um, but the sort of the very pointed comments that Harper came out with about Girardi not giving the young Phillies enough playing time. So Harper's really taken Bryson Stott under his wing, and you can see that he was upset about the fact that Stott wasn't being put in the lineup regularly after he made the major league club out of spring training and then the fact that he was demoted. And I agree, like the young guys need regular playing time. And the top of the lineup has a lot of solid veteran guys. And it's fair to spend the last three spots in the order, like really giving Alec Bohm a shot. I mean, not that he hasn't had a shot, but like a shot to turn it around and like really giving Bryson Stott a shot and, and Mickey Moniak, like a, a chance to play every day at the major league level and, and see how they can make adjustments. And I think, you know, maybe the thing to point to, although this does sort of feel like constructing a narrative after the fact, is that Girardi was fired from the Yankees for not being the best, I don't know exactly the right phrase, like clubhouse communicator. And I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's, you know, that his, his head was just always famously down in his binder. I don't know if it means that he wasn't always a clear communicator or if he just wasn't giving good St. Crispin's Day speeches in the locker room. And so I don't know similarly if it's that a manager getting fired is a wake-up call. Not that it's, you know, necessarily had the same effect for the Angels, unfortunately. Um, or if there's a certain amount of like, you know, the cat's away and now the mice can play for a second. Or if maybe Rob Thompson is just actually like a good fit for this group of guys in terms of managing personalities in terms of that particular part of his job. Um, because it certainly looks like they're playing looser. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's just a sort of one win leads to good vibes, leads to another win kind of a situation. Like, how can you tell that people are have good clubhouse chemistry? It's because they're winning and they're having a good time. But I do genuinely wonder if for the young players, feeling like they can play now and they aren't pressured to produce in every single at bat or they're going to be benched or they're going to be sent down. I wonder if that's really making a difference. And, you know, that's maybe legitimately why we see Bryson Stott having kind of gone off in the last week um, since Girardi was fired or, or that's why you get you know, Alec Bohm and Matt Veerling both homering off of Josh Hader. So that's, I guess, the one thing that I, I, can, I can even point to at this juncture that might explain the thing that we've seen other than it's just kind of, you know, the pendulum of luck. Yeah. Um, wh were you a fan of, of Girardi? I mean, obviously he, his reputation was poor in the uh, usage of the bullpen and uh, it obviously appears that he lost the clubhouse, which uh, when that coupled with the fact that he didn't produce results uh, means that uh, he really didn't have a good hold on the team. But did, did you like him as a manager or were you indifferent? Did you not like him? Like what was your, your take on him personally? I will say that and, you know, 
perhaps history has, has proved me to be wrong, but of the managers that they were clearly actually considering in the fall of 2019, Girardi was my choice um, just because I thought that he would do the best job of sort of integrating analytics, which I think is still a sort of struggle for the Phillies organization as a whole. And so, you know, in, in that regard, I, I came in with optimism about him and I don't, I still don't think that it was necessarily his fault. However, he certainly made decisions that I was not a fan of. So I think I came to be indifferent about Joe Girardi. I was not a, like the hashtag fire Girardi person, but I wasn't like a hashtag fire Kapler person either. So I, I, I guess, you know, I would say that I, I respect the work that he did and it seems like he maybe just wasn't the right fit for these personalities. Well, he was picked over, I think it was Buck Showalter and Dusty Baker. I think those are the other yep. two people who were, were the other down two to. And, and it, 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 it obviously looks like a bad move at this point, but I don't, think, I don't think it's his fault. I think it's the fault of management. They're fielding a team that, because Bryce Harper's hurt, they're playing two DHs in the outfield, and their defense is just so poor. It's, it, you can't win if your defense either up the middle or, or your th their weak arms in the outfield. It, it's, I mean, it's, we understand there's a DH in the National League, so you're supposed to be able to have an extra hitter. But when you have Kyle Schwarber in left field and Nick Castellanos in right field, when one of them is supposed to be DHing because Harper can't play, it's, it's not, he's, he was put into a bad situation. Plus, they've always had a bad bullpen recently in recent years and Corey Knable is not the solution they needed more stuff around him I think more of a solution for the for the Phillies bullpen is to use Sir Anthony Dominguez more I think he's the guy he's the who, who can turn that bullpen around I think in, in my opinion I think they end, end up trading Knable if, the, if they fall out of it and like I think Sir Anthony Dominguez is going to be the closer again like he was a couple of years ago yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't know about trading because I think that they need Corey Knable as well. You know, I I was actually um, a fan of them bringing in Knable in the off season, partly because I thought that the that because historically Middleton has not gone over the luxury tax that he also would not, and that they were the Phillies were losing four arms from their bullpen and that they needed a number of guys and so they couldn't just go out and get one you know Rasiel Iglesias and think that the problem was going to be solved and I think I was just really not a fan of the fact that the other two people that Dombrowski added were uh, Juris Familia and Brad Hand um, you know Hand has been okay recently but they're still just not the other relievers that I would have picked. You know, I, I would have picked three people sort of around the Corey Knable price range and uh, and then had just a little bit more options of stability in the back uh, of the bullpen. But I mean, honestly, given the price that was paid for Familia and Brad Hand, I would rather have had one Kenley Jansen than two of those guys. So, you know, there are, I, there, I certainly, there are moves that I question all around. <laughs> um, and in, in, you know, in terms of the defense, obviously I think that the, uh, you know, as much as we love Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber as hitters and as personalities and human beings, they are sort of known dump trucks out there defense wise but it, they're not the only problem 
Um, and I think that the real issue is that, you know, mostly Odubo Herrera has been out there in center field. His defense is wildly inconsistent and sort of bad on the aggregate. Um, Didi Gregorius has missed a fair amount of time, but, you know, he's the worst shortstop for outs above average since 2018, and it's not even particularly close. So, like, then when you add to that kind of the very public errors that Alec Bohm gets, and I actually don't even think that Bohm is the worst defender out there. I think you just see when he makes an error, and you can't, or like, a casual fan can't see Nick Castellanos's range. Do you know what I mean? They're like, oh, he's just going for the ball and he didn't get there as opposed to like, yeah, like a lot of other players would have gotten to that ball. Um, and, you know, this this sort of same issue at times for Gregorius. So, yeah, the, the whole basically, especially now that Gene Segura has broken his finger, he was like the one place that uh, the opposing team could hit the ball and I wouldn't necessarily hold my breath. Um, it's not, it's not great out there. <laughs> it's not great out there with the defense. No, a uh, little bit of fantasy relevance. Uh, you know, who, who do you think the Phillies MVP has been this season and what would you do with him in fantasy in terms of, you know, hold, buy, sell, that kind of thing? Oh, I mean, it's Bryce Harper and, and not just because he's obviously literally the reigning NL MVP, but he's, he's been incredible. You know, he is He's fifth in the National League in batting average and home runs and RBI, um, which, you know, RBI is an important MVP stat, uh, as in who has literally helped your team, um, whether that's, you know, your fantasy team or your real life team. And he has six stolen bases, uh, so that's helpful to your fantasy team, probably more than than to the Phillies. Um and in terms of what to do with Harper, I think that it, that actually is uh, is an interesting question in fantasy because of the injury risk um, with his uh, with his arm, and you know he's not he's not able to throw. Obviously, that's the main issue. But he even had to sit a little bit because um, his arm was hurting, and so. You know, I could I could see somebody trying to trade Harper um, if they felt like they you know had a position of strength otherwise. But that almost that feels hard to me because who are you really trading him for? Unless you've you know it's a deeper league and you've got a lot of holes to fill, and you're like I can trade Harper and I can fill you know I can get a pitcher and I can get I need a you know third baseman or whatever that maybe you could make that kind of a depth play. Um, but in terms of players who have actually been better than him, in terms of getting his kind of production, you know, I tend to not like to do those, uh, to trade away one guy for multiple guys. I try to do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that uh, in terms of fantasy, uh, the interesting player to talk about is uh, Zach Wheeler. Um, you know, if you look at his full season stats – it's 3.14 ERA, which actually masks the fact that the first three starts of his were just his spring training warmups. Like he, the the Phillies didn't use him to especially be the dominant self he was. They used it as spring instead of having him do spring training, just you know, just pitch what you can. If you look at his his ERA since the first three outings, 
He has a 1.61 ERA with a 1.03 whip with an unlucky 324 BABIP. Uh, he's thrown since the, since the first three, 56 strikeouts to only 11 walks. So uh, I think that in terms of fantasy, might even be a buy for Wheeler. I mean, everybody is talking about Shane McClanahan and Corbin Burns is lighting it up. I think that the fact that his overall numbers mask what he really, his true talent is, I think Wheeler could actually be a buy. I, I would be wanting to trade for Zach Wheeler at this point in fantasy. Do you agree, Ruvain? I, I do, but Wheeler's going to be expensive. So actually the guy I'd want to trade for is a guy like Zach Eflin, who's pitching very good. And if you include today's outing, his war for the Phillies is right now, I have it at 1.3, which is third on the on the roster for pitchers behind Wheeler and Nola. And he's pitching much better than his career averages. He's been doing it, um, you know, he's, he's stepping into his own. A couple of years ago, people were saying in fantasy, oh yeah, Eflin's the guy, he's going to break out, he's going to break out. This actually may be his breakout year. And you know what? You may be able to get him cheaper than much cheaper than Zach Wheeler. And if you need to fill in a hole for a second or third uh, starter on your roster, he's not that bad of an option to have. Yeah, I honestly, I feel like there could be leagues where Zach, Zach Eflin is still out there because I know that there's a lot of people who just don't believe in him. And, you know, I think the the key to his success is whether or not that curveball is working um, because it's really it's exceptional when it's working really well. Um, but there are starts, you know, I, I have watched them where the curveball is, you know, clearly he's not using it as much, which means that, that he doesn't have as good of a feel for it or it's not quite um, landing in the way that he wants to. And that, yeah, he can he can get crushed in those starts is the only, I guess, sort of caveat emptor with, with Zach Eflin. But in terms of, just in terms of Wheeler, I feel like, yeah, if you can get somebody to think that he's not, you know, one of the, like, 10 best pitchers in fantasy because of the start of the year, then yes, absolutely get that fool <laughs> yeah, to trade I, I, with you. <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, in terms of uh, buyers and sellers for the team at the deadline, because that could also lead to fantasy value, uh, and I have to ask this question: Do you think that they will be sellers? And if they if they do, who would it likely be? It'll probably be like Knebel, I guess, for a, another bullpen arm. And as Ruvain mentioned, maybe Sir Anthony Dominguez gets the save opportunities. How do you see uh, any fantasy help or or loss in terms of the trade deadline? I think Knebel's a a good option, but again, like it it would they can't lose any semi-competent bullpen arms is my opinion so I guess they'd they'd need to feel like they were really out of it and I guess I find it kind of unlikely that Dombrowski will be in sell mode just because that's not what he does um, but guys who will be free agents this offseason are D.D. Gregorius um, unlikely to, you know, have a lot of takers. I can't think of a lot of like contending teams who are like, what do we do at shortstop? Um, and, and Kyle Gibson also, but you know, the Phillies don't really have any starting depth. Um, Christopher Sanchez is their long relief guy. And, uh, in there's Bailey Falter and Hans Kraus, but there's not really a proven six starter type on their roster. Um, so I think that Dombrowski would really need to feel number one, that 22 is a loss and that he could get a piece that was going to be immediately helpful in 2023, because there are so many other pieces that are, that are like really constructed around contending right now. 
All right, let's uh, move teams. Talk about the uh, Atlanta Braves right now. Um, fantasy question is for Matt Olson. Very high expectations. A lot of people were comparing before the season Matt Olson with Pete Alonzo. So far, Alonzo is the winner between the two. Question is, what do we do in fantasy? Um, are we looking to acquire Matt Olson? Maybe he was unlucky, and uh, he uh, going to get hot when the summer heat goes and his strength is power. So as the hot air comes in from the summer, he'll heat up. Should we trade him? Just hold? What, what are you doing with Matt Olson, Ellen, in fantasy right now? I mean, so... I love Matt Olson. He's one of my favorite players. So I'm uh, I'm probably biased. Um, but I I think what's likely to come around is the reason that you want him anyway is the power. So I think it's possible that the 17% strikeout rate that we saw last year might be an outlier. But I think that, you know, he's got a 23.3% uh, strikeout rate this year. And that's, I think still perfectly good and perfectly sustainable. So it might be that he's more of a 260 hitter than a 270 hitter, but I don't think that those 10 points of batting average are are why, if people are concerned about him, why they're concerned about him. So the reason that I would be buying is that if you look at his batted ball data, basically everything like max exit velo average exit velo are the same or better than last year his pull rate is the same and the main thing that's different is his launch angle so he has the lowest launch angle of his career so far but i think that i trust matt olson he's a premier power hitter to fix that um to to sort of even that out and uh his home run to fly ball rate is also a career low and like his expected batting average and his uh, ex-will bacon are better than his actual numbers. So I would say I'm buying. Move I actually agree with everything you said, except I'm going to say that he's, I'm, I would sell on him because he's normally a better first half player than second half player in 2019 and 2021. His second halves were much better than his first halves. And I think it has to do with him signing a big contract. This happened with Francisco Lindor last year. He did not do well. He's pressing, trying to, you know, fill in the, the mantle of being the, the guy on the team. Matt Olson is trying to replace Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman can't be replaced. He was he was Mr. Atlanta Brave. That's what he's doing. So Matt Olson trying to replace him is putting a little pressure on him. That's probably why he's not having that fly ball, home run to fly ball rate that he normally has, which is why he's not having the same results. That being said, Recently, there have been more home runs flying out of stadium, so it is possible that his home run total will go up, but t statistically, Matt Olson has always done better in the first half than the second half, which is why I would sell him for this year, but I'd be all over him for next year. That's interesting. Um, well, let, let's see where we would rank him. Um, you know, I think, uh, let's, uh, Pete Alonzo, I'm assuming we're going to both, we will agree that if you had a choice between Alonzo and Olson, rest of season, you would take Alonzo, am I right? Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. Paul Goldschmidt, would you rather have him? I think so. Yes, yes. Yeah, I agree. What about C.J. Crone, who's been fantastic this year? Oh, for me, that's Olsen. I mean, I, I agree that C.J. Crone has been fantastic, but and, and again, um, my proviso about how much I love Matt Olsen, but yeah. 
Right. No, I, I, I actually go. I actually go CJ Crone here because really? Crone is still playing in Colorado. I know Philadelphia is a great. I mean, Atlanta is not that great of a, of a home run park, and he will visit good home run parks. But I'll, I'll go with CJ Crone here because they're basically the same player. You just want you want the power because they're they're both not known for their batting averages. So for power, I'm going CJ Crone in Colorado. If you can guarantee me that Crone's health would stay up the entire season, I might go Crone, but. Uh, it's, it's hard for me. I, I, I think it's Olsen for me. Uh, what about uh, Freddie Freeman to me, I think, is obvious. It's Freddie Freeman. Yes. Agreed. Yes. Anthony Rizzo? Olsen. Olsen. Yeah, Olsen as well. What about Ty France? Olsen. I mean, I love Ty yeah. France, but yeah. I would yeah. take Ty France just because he has position eligibility all over the place, and I can put him anywhere. But otherwise, statistically, it's Olsen. Yeah, I'm taking Olsen. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I think there's no question there. Um, how about Josh Bell? That's an interesting one. It's, it is an interesting one, but I'm still going to go Olsen. I'm going to, yeah, I'm just. I'm, I'm going to go Josh I actually Josh feel like C.J. Crone was the hardest one so far. Yeah, And it yeah. wasn't even that hard. I was immediately like, right. oh, well, it's Matt Olsen. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm very high on Josh Bell. Josh Bell also has a better career average than Olsen, so I think I'd go Josh Bell. Now, I, I would go Olsen as well here. So to me, it seems that uh, Olsen's value for Ruvain has changed quite a bit. For Ellen and I, probably not as much. What happened more is that CJ Crone moved way, way up, and I think Paul Goldschmidt also moved way, way up as well. I think that's the gist of it, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Good gist. Uh, uh, the gist. The gist of it. Good um, gist making, friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here. Um, the, let's talk about another brave. Uh, what about Eddie Rosario? Uh, maybe it's more of an injury question for Ruvain. Uh, uh, listen, uh, as you know by listening to the show, I love Eddie Rosario every single season in fantasy. I think it was the first year that I probably do not roster him anywhere, or if I do, very limited quantity. Um, what What is his health status? To me, he's a guy who can, out of nowhere, come back and really provide a little punch. I mean, this Eddie Rosario is somebody who has a fantastically low ground ball rate. He's got a very high contact rate. So uh, he clearly was injured earlier this season. Otherwise, to me, he's a very, very high floor for production in a pinch, and he's had fantastic halves. He's never been able to really put together a full season that was amazing, but those half seasons were, you know, top-of-the-line outfielders. Um, what, what is the status, and what are your thoughts, uh, Ruvain, about Eddie Rosario? Well, Eddie Rosario is still recovering from eye surgery. He had a problem with his vision, um, and they're saying that he should be back sometime toward the possibly end of June, beginning of July, and even mid-July, because he still hasn't started swinging a bat yet because of all these issues. Now, he started off very slowly. That's because of the poor vision, I assume. But that means that he never really had a true spring training. So he wasn't seeing the ball, literally seeing the ball properly. So that can lead to bad mechanics. Does that lead bad to, to bad mechanics? I, I mean, I drafted Eddie Rosario in a couple of leagues. I dropped him almost immediately, and I have no interest in picking him up, only because I think there are better options out there, and Eddie Rosario has to, has to prove to me. I'm not going to pay that high price that I have to pay on the free agent wire to get Eddie Rosario because you don't know what you're going to get because you don't know if he created these bad habits and what he was doing earlier in the season, so I'm just very nervous about that. What about you, Alan? Yeah, I think, I mean... In terms, obviously, I defer to Ruvain on the on everything injury related. I, I was sort of thinking, oh, well, an eye injury, you know, at least you can still weight lift and stuff while you're doing that, you know, as opposed to having to rest your 
hamstring or your bicep or whatever it is um, for six to eight weeks. But I think that uh, that's a really excellent point. And I think the sort of the question for me is like a playing time question when he gets back. It sort of feels too soon to prognosticate. Um, but with Duval and Ozuna both having sort of slower starts to the season, although Duval's been heating up this week, I'm just wondering, you know, where where exactly who's who is Rosario going to take playing time from? Um, and, and and I'm not asking that uh, sarcastically or skeptically. I'm asking that genuinely. Um, and and a factor is certainly that Rosario's defense is even worse than Ozuna's. So like if I'm Atlanta, I'd want him to slot back in as a DH and not put either of them in the field. But then it's like, are they platooning at DH? So I don't know if it just comes down to which of them performs better. And it looks kind of crowded uh, yeah. from this juncture. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, fantasy irrelevant for now. Um, just very quickly to wrap up the Braves. Um, do you think that they have the best fantasy situation in terms of the dual catchers there? Travis Darno, excellent, who by the way just homered today, and uh, William Contreras, who's got eight homers, three hundred four average in a part-time role, earning a one point two WAR. I mean, this guy looks absolutely legit. Is this the best catching situation in all of? baseball from from a fantasy standpoint I, I think yes I think it might be now that didn't Danny Jansen like break his finger yes because yes, I feel correct. like the Danny Jansen Alejandro Kirk yes. catcher tandem um I am like jointly obsessed with both of them <laughs> and they just called up Moreno today also so he's yeah. in the mix also yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe maybe still still a player uh, for that. But yes, I think the answer to your question is yes. I mean, William Contreras has been outstanding. He has a 1066 OPS. He has <laughs> the Norman Conquest OPS. It's like my favorite OPS that a person could have. Uh, it fills me with joy. <laughs> Yes. Uh, you agree, Ruben? I'm assuming? At, at this point, yes, but I think Toronto is up there also, even when Danny Jansen comes back, because he was actually hitting like a number one yeah. catcher now. So they actually have three number one catchers, I believe. Number one hitting catchers in Toronto. So just because Contreras is doing well right now, that's great. But to have a trio like that that they have possibly in Toronto, it's I think Atlanta's one and Toronto's a 1A. Yeah. Hurry back, Danny Jansen. <laughs> <laughs> On to the Marlins, who, by the way, have a ton of fantasy players uh, who are very relevant. Uh, let's talk about the guy at the top of the pitching staff there, Sandy Alcantara. Now, before the season started, um, I said that this guy would be very good outside the top 15. Uh, I had him maybe Ooh. in my top 20, maybe 25. Nick Pollock, I have to give him credit, came on our show, and he's like, this is the man. Uh, he's the number two starting pitcher right now in fantasy baseball. Uh, so kudos to you, Nick Pollock. Uh, never doubt you again. Well, I, I don't doubt him. I mean, I still <laughs> ranked him pretty high. Uh, but uh, is he going to finish the season in, in, a, in the top 10? Your thoughts, uh, Ellen, on, the, on Sandy? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think top 10 for sure. Yeah. Um, he's just an absolute workhorse and, you know, he's currently leading the majors in innings pitched. Thanks. Complete ga game shutout of Atlanta. Thank you. Um, and he is uh, third best in both ERA and expected ERA. Um, so not exactly the same number, but like third in both. And he throws a hundred. 
And he has four fantastic pitches, and his command of them has been just really locked in recently. So um, my thoughts are mostly that I meant to roster Sandy in every single draft that I had this year, and I'm sorry that I only got him once. <laughs> yeah. The, the answer is that, that – uh, the key to him is that the innings will still be high. He threw over 200 innings last season. He was one of only four pitchers who who broke the 200-inning barrier. And Mm -hmm. in in today's day and age in fantasy, innings, innings, innings matter. If you're throwing 160 innings, wow, you're amazing. Uh, But he can throw 200 easy. Uh, And he did it last year, which means he's ready to do it again. Of course, do you know, Ellen, who the number one innings pitch pitcher last year in fantasy was, uh, in baseball was? It was Zach Wheeler with 212 innings. That's right. That's the key. Zach Wheeler. Um, He just got a lot more outs than Corbin Burns. That's all I'm going to say. Yes. That, also, that the Phillies is. beat Corbin Burns today. I'm I, also going to say that. I, I see that you don't really agree with the uh, Cy Young decision last year. I don't. I I don't know. I get it. I totally get it. I'm just poking <laughs> fun. Uh, let's go to Ruvain for this. I I think that he's going to finish in the top 100 percent in the top ten because if you look who's in the top ten right now as starting pitchers, you have Nestor Cortez. Is he going to stay in the top ten area? Even in the top twenty, Martin Perez, Tyler Anderson, are they staying mm. in there? Tony Gonsolin, is he going to stay in there? I don't think anyone is going to be able to overtake him to make him lose that spot. And Ellen, exactly what you said, 83 innings so far. He's got nine quality starts out of 12, uh, nine quality starts out of 12 appearances. He is right now, I think, the Cy Young Award winner in the National League. I agree. Yeah, yeah definitely. I completely agree. And I think something for fantasy, I think some people may, might be like, oh, well, you know, is he going to get fewer wins because he's on the Marlins? And if he's always pitching so deep into games, it just gives him a greater likelihood of getting a win, you know, of getting his, his team, if not all the way through the entire game to the ninth inning, at least through to the seventh or eighth inning and still getting that win. Hundred percent. He's a monster in points leagues. Uh, fin- oh gosh! Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, in terms of the other uh, headed horse of the Mar- uh, Pablo Lopez has been fantastic. Now I, I think that uh, Alcantara is actually a hold and maybe maybe even a buy. Um, in terms of fantasy, I think Pablo Lopez can hold what he's been doing, but I do think he is a sell. First of all, he's never done this level, so you know this is a new level for him. We don't know how, if that's going to last entirely. There's some regression, um, but uh, he it has been injury prone in the past. So there's always a risk. I remember we had Sarah Sanchez on the show who said, well, I just traded Clayton Kershaw, injury risk. Boom, the next day he got injured. Um, He is an injury risk, but on top of that, they could shut him down. He's never really pitched that many innings. Uh, So Mm -hmm. they could shut him down or limit his work or whatever at the end of the season. So uh, I do think Lopez, although I think he is going to be fantastic the rest of the year, question is how many innings. And for that reason, I think he is a sell. Do you agree, Ellen, on this? Yeah, I do, unfortunately. I think what he's doing is, like like you think, I think it's completely legit. You know, it's almost universally true that if you've got an ERA below three, that your peripherals are going to be higher, often about a run higher. Um, but so essentially his peripherals are still elite, um, even if they have some regression baked into them. But I think that, that the injury risk is the main issue, you know, as – you mentioned he he missed time in 2018, 2019, and 2021 with with shoulder strains. So it means that the 2021 or the 2020 shortened season is actually his own only like quote full season, and he's never pitched more than 111 innings. 
Um, I mean, I think that there is another potential issue that I think, you know, this is the kind of issue that you will see with any number of very good pitchers and so is not in and of itself a reason to sell. Um, but, you know, he predominantly just uses two pitches, um, the fastball and his beautiful, beautiful changeup. So if one of them doesn't show up, you could be in for a bad outing. And by one of them, I mean, you know, probably the changeup. So like he had a, a sort of a bad outing versus the Nationals. I remember earlier this year where, you know, he only went like three innings because the changeup wasn't working. That's true. Uh, you agree with him? I actually would hold and I'd actually buy on Pablo Lopez. Why? Yes, he has the injury risk, but look what he's doing. He, I think he's found something to keep himself healthy. His fastball velocity is down a full mile per hour from, from last year, and it's the lowest it's ever been in his career. It's only at 92.9 on average this year. His career is 93.4, and last year he was at 94 miles an hour for his fastball. So he's dialing it back a little bit, which may be a strategy in a way for him to keep healthy, which is exactly what the Mets are trying to now get into um, Jacob deGrom's head. They want him to dial it back a little bit so you're able to stay on the mound because, yes, you're great if you throw 100 miles an hour and you get you strike everybody out, but if you're not on the field, you can't do anything. So I think him dialing it back, I think he's a little bit less of an injury risk for the rest of the year, and he's actually, for me, a buy as opposed to a sell. Point taken. Um, wow, you've really been uh, opposite start. us. The, the, the whole show, you've been taking the counterpoint here. Oh, I, I, I do what I can. <laughs> it makes for good discourse. Eric yes. and I on our podcast, we're like, we always agree with each other. And <laughs> does that make for the best podcast? That's true. Well, usually we agree a little bit more, but uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, uh, who, let's talk a little bit about saves on the Marlins, or should we be avoiding the situation? Who gets the most saves the rest of the season? Is it even worth buying anyone? Um, I'm going to say no. Uh, you know, good luck. You'll just spend empty fab dollars or maybe just take Tanner Scott in the short term for cheap. And what, what, what do you think, Ellen? I, I, any any uh, input on the safe situation on the Marlins? I will tell you that I have been staying out of it as a person who had uh, drafted Dylan Floro in one league and had Anthony Bender for some time. And at this moment, I'm just, I don't, yeah, I'm not rostering anybody um, from the Marlins. Because, yeah, it looks like Dylan Floro and Anthony Bass are sort of out of it. And and Cole Sulser and Tanner Scott have been kind of divvying up the, the meager pie. And I feel like if I were, if I were, in this bizarre hypothetical situation forced at gunpoint to pick somebody um i would maybe go with anthony bender just to say that like him coming back from injury kind of settles the whole dispute um but i think i would say that afraid that i was gonna get a hypothetical bullet in the brain because i think that's more that i just want to believe that because it feels like a simple answer um rather than i i think probably just the chaos will continue to reign did you know that anthony bender is howard bender's cousin I did not. I'm not sure that I know who Howard Bender is, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's not. Howard Bender on Sirius XM, uh, another, uh, okay, all right. another analyst. But no, he's not. Uh, he, he did try to fool me with that one, though, and I fell for it briefly. You uh, know, I, I don't understand why I keep disagreeing with you. I think Dylan Floro is going to be the closer. I, I think that he hasn't had a spring training yet. He's just coming back from an injury. Um, he was the closer last year, and the and he even got saves the year before that because the Marlins liked him, even though there were other possibilities on the roster the last couple of years. The Marlins seem to like Dylan Floro when it comes down to it, and I think they're just waiting for him to get into his own. I think Dylan Floro is the guy to have. Great. 
I might agree with Ruben on this one, actually. Uh, I, it's because it, it's a choice preference, and that's what they did last year. Um, and they can save Bender for a high leverage role and just have Dylan as the closer, which is what they did last year. Uh, no reason to think, unless Manningly gets fired, that they will do that. Um, all right, let's move on to the Nationals here. Um, big news. Steven Strasburg has been called up. Ruvain, what is the injury status of him? Obviously, he's healthy now. Um, what are your expectations for him? Uh, how long does he pitch per start? How long does he last the season? I'm asking a lot of questions, Ruvain. Should I base it on what he did tonight where he pitched four and two-thirds and gave up seven runs? Um, nice. I'm not really putting too much into um, Steven Strasburg. He's coming back from thoracic outlet surgery. Very few pitchers have come back and pitched effectively after that. Yes, he's been through so much, but they, they were doing the, the game was on MLB Network today, tonight, and I actually saw a, a stat that they put up there that they said in 2019 he had 33 starts, 209 innings, went 18-6. and six. That was the year they won the World Series, and it was really good 3-3 ERA with a whip of 1.04. In 2020 and 2021 combined, seven starts, 26 innings, 5.74 ERA, a 1.46 whip. And he's coming off a thoracic outlet surgery now. So I have almost no, I, I had no reason to roster him in any of my leagues. I don't have any interest in him whatsoever. He he may get up to doing five, six innings. But they, listen, the Nationals have him under contract for the next couple of years still. So they're stuck with him. So they're going to just roll them and see what they can get out of him. You agree? Yeah, I, 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 I do agree. I think that, you know, one of the sort of telling things about this start is not just the results, but that his velocity was just sitting at about 90. And certainly what we can see for the last couple of years um, with the less than stellar results that Ruben already mentioned um, is that that's about where his velocity was and that the last time that he was really effective his velocity was you know averaging more like 93 so I think that you know whether or not it's anything else to do with the injury if simply his velocity is there I just think it's going to be very hard for him to be effective yeah I'll just say this um, I don't have high expectations but I do think he's worth a small bid. I always go under the return on investment principle, and the way to win is a high return on investment, which either means a high return or a low investment. So if you can get Steven Strasburg cheap, why not throw him on your bench, see if he comes back to form. Worst things to worst, you cut him in a couple of weeks, and that's the end. Otherwise, you could be getting Steven Strasburg. I think it's worth a very slow-cost risk uh, on the waiver wire here just because of the return on investment principles. That's just my feeling on him. I don't know. I, I wouldn't even want a roster spot on him because there's so many players who are more valuable on the, wa the waiver wire than him at this point. So I don't even think I'd want to do that unless he has a couple starts where he can put something together. But otherwise, he, to me, he's like Matt Harvey a couple of years ago when he, after he had thoracic outlet surgery, he just went down. He was never the same pitcher that he was ever. And I think, unfortunately, they're basically the same, same guy at this point. And I think that Steven Strasburg, the only thing he has more than Matt Harvey is that World Series ring, and that's what he got. You're probably right. Um, pro you know, it all depends on your team circumstance. If you're in a 16-team yeah. deep league with seven bench spots and seven IL, um, and, and you don't have injuries, uh, it's worth a shot, If you know, depending upon where you are in the standings. 
Um, you know, uh, a lot of people can get traded on this national team that's really disappointing. Uh, there's a lot of payroll coming off the books. Cesar Hernandez, Steve Ciszek, Doolittle, Josh Bell also coming off the books. I think he's a good candidate to be traded. Does his value go up if he's traded? Is he likely to be traded? And I'm uh, curious to get your thoughts on this, Ellen. Do you think that Juan Soto gets traded in the middle of the season? I do not think that Juan Soto gets traded in the middle of the season. Um, yeah, I agree with you that I think Josh Bell looks like the most obvious target. And the reason that I don't think that Juan Soto gets traded isn't just because Mike Rizzo came out and said, hey, actually, we're not trading Juan Soto, um, but just because I don't think that there is a price that can be paid for Juan Soto. Uh, and I don't just mean, you know, um, half a billion dollars. I mean, in terms of a of a package that can be put together for somebody who is already, you know, one of the five best hitters in baseball and is 23 years old. So the fact that he is younger than a lot of the prospects that you'd be dealing him for, I just like, I don't, I can't conceive of the trade package that would be worth Juan Soto. Yeah, tend, tend to agree on that. You disagree, Ruben? No, I agree 100%. And actually, the, um, the Nationals GM went on radio saying that if they continue the trend that they're going to, they're going to trade off all the expiring contracts that they can to get value. That includes Josh Bell, Cesar Hernandez, Mikel Franco, Steve Ciszek. All those guys have expiring contracts and do have could have some value on another team, especially if they're making a playoff run. Yeah. Um, thoughts on NL East predictions? Um, maybe, Ellen, you have a player prediction, team prediction. Uh, I'll ask you this. Um, what do you think Fangraphs have the odds of the Phillies making the playoffs this year? Um, 27%. Ruben? I'm going to say a little bit lower, like 22 23%. It's actually 36% that Fangraphs gives. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Sweet. We're going wow. to the playoffs. <laughs> we're, breaking, we're breaking the NL East longest playoff drought. Yeah, or although NL, winning, just NL, not NL East. Although winning the division only five percent, uh, the extra wild cards really helped this year. Uh, yes, and they're they're at about five hundred, the Phillies, and you might get playoff teams this year that are just over five hundred. So uh, don't count out the Phillies uh, for this season, for sure not. Um, I'm gonna predict, and maybe I shouldn't, that I do think the Mets are gonna are gonna make the play. Uh, they're gonna make the playoffs. I'm not gonna say win the division. I don't want to be too optimistic as a Mets fan. But I, I do think the Mets have enough that they've gained in the first two months of the season that it would – I mean, they and this could happen. They could fall absolutely flat. But I think that they have a good chance of making the playoffs. And remember, they got reinforcements coming in DeGrum, hopefully, and Scherzer, who he'll have a good recovery, um, as well as Mets can trade also. Um, and I think Steve Cohen is, is all in it. Uh, so uh, I, I will see the Mets. I think the Mets will make the playoffs. Anybody disagree on that or, or have any special uh, any predictions? The Mets are definitely making the playoffs. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think I think the Mets are going to win the division. Um, and my only dream is that the Phillies finish in second place. And um, uh, my only nightmare is that Atlanta wins the division again. I'm just bored of it. <laughs> 
well, I think the Braves are going to make a run. I think the Braves are going to make are going to give the Mets all they can. And you can't really depend on those reinforcements coming for the Mets because they never came last year. We thought DeGrom was going to come back last year. He didn't come back. So you can't always bet on those reinforcements. But you do have the big wallet of Steve Cohen who can basically fill holes whenever he wants to. So if, let's say, the Nationals do want to trade a guy like Juan Soto, then they can maybe package a dead contract like a Patrick Corbin with him, and the Mets would certainly absorb that and trade a couple of top, top prospects to get Juan Soto to, to City Field. It's funny. The Mets were reluctant to take on the Padres. They could have gotten Eric Hosmer um, uh, with with a good reliever and with uh, Paddock, who uh, we know was injured, but uh, they could have had that package for Dom Smith, who they demoted, and they declined mm. that in absorbing Eric Hosmer money. I I, I, I found that surprising, um, but, uh, I mean, the, the Mets are not taking anybody. I think they're being super selective as, you know, Sandy Alderson is still involved. Yeah, I, but I think one so being taking one soda is not really being selected. It's just being smart because he's one of the best players in baseball. Wow. So th- that's not even a question. If he's available, you don't think that um, the Mets GM is going to knock on the door and see see what the asking price is. If he if he wouldn't, he'd be crazy not to. Same with any team in the playoff run. They they just ask. There's no harm in asking. It's called kicking the tires. We haven't heard that term in a while. But all the teams are going to kick the tires for the all the all the players on the Nationals, all the players on the Marlins, and just see what you can get out of them. You know, if you can get someone that can fill a hole. By all means, do it. Yeah, but I, I think there's a better chance that we'll see uh, Aaron Judge in a Mets uniform than Juan Soto. I think that uh, maybe Cohen's going to wait for that to happen rather than sell the farm on, on a Soto. Um, it would be so delightful. <laughs> wouldn't that? Wouldn't that? I, I was actually just so listening great. to uh, um, Ian Khan oh. on his show the other day, and, and he's like, you know what? If Aaron Judge signs with the Mets, I'm going to convert and be a Mets fan. I'm going to come to games. Okay. Oh, that'd be great. Yes. All rise with the Mets apple, right? <laughs> that would be uh, that would be tremendous. Uh, all right, uh, waiver wire time. Uh, it's where we talk about a couple of potential pickups that might help your fantasy teams this week. Ellen, who, who do you got for us? Who's a player that you might be interested in this week? So, sticking with our NL East theme, uh, Luis Garcia of the Nationals. Um, He is, I believe, currently second base eligible, but he's been playing shortstop. And so uh, if he doesn't have that in your league, uh, he might pick that up. Um, So Alcides Escobar is injured and the Nats have brought Garcia back up. And it could be that, you know, now he's actually ready to be in the majors. So they had brought him up in 2020 straight from AA when he was only 20 years old. Um, and obviously, you know, next to Juan Soto, everybody's like, well, but you're 20, but like Juan Soto can play in the majors, so can't you also? Um, and he's like, oh, I'm not Juan Soto, sorry. Uh, but now that he has had uh, 79 games at AAA in 2021 and 2022, where he had a 931 OPS, maybe he's ready for the majors. So he's still only 22. Um, but it seems like he's kind of 22 and also post-hype, um, but he's still younger than a lot of prospects. And uh, he has a sort of a high Babbitt, but he's hitting so far 333 in seven games with a homer. Cross that one off my list. Uh, I would have said the <laughs> same uh, same one. Any, any other names to mention? Uh, well, why doesn't somebody else go? And uh, we'll right. see if we have other repeats. Let's do it. Ruben? All right, well, I'm going to do a former NL East guy, and that's Paul Sewald. He's had two saves this week. He's got an ERA of 2.21 with a .84 ERA, 19 strikeouts in 20 innings. He's only owned a 34% 
in of CBS leagues. He's an option for saves for Seattle. He's definitely a guy to get. I mentioned Sir Anthony Dominguez before. He's got a 1.74 ERA, 1.02 whip, 26 strikeouts in 20 innings. And should he become closer, his value just goes through the roof. And one more analyst guy, because I'm sticking with the theme. I mentioned this guy, I think, last week. John Birdie. He's got eight stolen bases for the year. He's batting 273, only 8% owned in CBS with Brian Anderson on the IL, with Joey Wendell on the IL. He's eligible in third base. He's eligible all, almost in the outfield and second base. He's had seven stolen bases in his last 10 games since he became the starter. So if you need stolen bases, he's available in most leagues. I'm going to stick with the uh, Marlins here. Garrett Cooper, 30% yeah. on, batting 313 on the year with four homers. And by the way, since May 1st, three of those homers, batting 339. Uh, he has had injury problems in the past, but uh, he's good while he goes, so Garrett Cooper. Uh, I'll mention two others. Um, Jose Miranda, we were very high on Jose Miranda before the season. He's now starting to heat up. Twins are high on him in June so far. Two homers batting 400, 7 RBI. He's interesting. And uh, is it Nico or Nico Horner? Um, 25% owned on CBS. He's back from the aisle. A lot of people, you know, might have dropped him because he was injured. And a lot of times you get these players who come back, and if you get him the first week, you can get him. Uh, he, he's batting 293 in the year with three homers, six stolen bases uh, in rotisserie. That profile plays. His strikeout rate this year is 12%, so a lot of contact. That'll keep that batting average hot. Definitely a good fill-in for somebody if you need a pinch of speed and not be a zero in the power. Corner might be good. And by the way, if, if you are in a league that is two catchers, uh, we mentioned Gabriel Moreno is up. I would take a flyer on him. Not in one catcher leagues, in two catcher leagues. Certainly if you do have if, – if Alejandro Kirk is somehow available – Obviously, he's uh, the guy, and we mentioned uh, Contreras, uh, William Contreras uh, earlier. If he's not picked up in your league, even in one catcher leagues, he's worth a shot, I think, as well. I have a couple of I have a couple of other people. Please, um, Ezekiel Duran uh, of the Rangers is, I think, second base eligible, but has been playing mostly third base, so we might get that. Um, this is uh, Josh Smith's injury, and. Uh, he is 23 years old, and they brought him straight up from Double A um, for uh, contrast and comparison to the Luis Garcia situation. And he has also hit very well, 316 with a high BABIP and a homer in five games. And the minor league track record would suggest that he's more likely to steal the occasional base than Garcia um, with 19 across high A last year um but i'm i'm not i feel like more confident that luis garcia maybe sticks um and the other person that i could mention uh is bryson stott because i'm going to pick only middle infielders it's funny when i was on in the deep i like was supposed to just pick some players that i love and i picked like only second baseman it was hilarious um so uh bryson stott has been on fire in the rob thompson era of phillies baseball and he has hit all three of his homers on the season in the last week. Um, and it's uh, also true that since he came back to the majors from being sent down earlier in the year, he has cut the strikeout rate to a uh, manageable 26%. And he's also been walking more, not a lot, but more at 8%. However, both of those have been trending even further uh, in the right direction over the last week. Obviously, it's a small sample, um, and 
it makes sense though because there's been specific mention like he's talked about focusing on letting the ball um, get deeper over the plate so that makes sense absolutely uh Stott, if he's available in your league he is heating up so grab 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 but yeah, right. I think, you know, because he's batting like 188, I think if, you know, even if he was drafted in your league, it's quite possible that he was dropped. Yeah, just like we said about Wheeler, anytime you see the full season, because a lot of people, what they do is they go to the waiver wire and they go, well, let's sort by uh, sort by whatever. And, well, that guy's batting 188. I don't know. If you're one of those guys who do that, you might have to look a little bit deeper sometimes at, you know, what's he done the past month. I like to set my view, if I'm going to do that kind of thing, I, I, I do 30 days or a mo- 28 days, you know, a month worth. Um, because a lot of times those full season numbers can either be overly deceiving or not. Especially that batting average varies very widely in the beginning. So uh, be very careful careful when you do that and that might keep Stott's numbers down and for the astute fantasy player uh just as ellen uh, mentioned you good time to pick him up and uh, that might keep his numbers low all right time for the pitcher preview let's see who the pirates are playing this week <laughs> all right ellen do you have a uh, pitcher to uh pick up this week sure um I think Alex Fido uh, having two starts this week versus the White Sox and Texas is sort of an interesting two-start pitcher option. He's having a pretty good season, although, uh, again, caveat emptor, his peripherals suggest a regression on his uh, 2.92 ERA. Um, The thing with Fido is that his slider is a great pitch when it's on. Uh, It has been good for a 35% CSW, but his four-seamer has been uh, 92.4 miles an hour on average, so that's not exceptional. Um, And his changeup isn't much good for uh, strike with just uh, 17% CSW. Um, 23 is league average on a changeup for context. Still, I feel like it's a good gamble that one of those two starts is a good one. Yeah, if you're looking for wins, then uh, definitely. Uh, Ruben? I have two guys. I don't think either of them are either are, are two start, but two guys that you should think of getting picking up, especially if they're available. I'm going to mention him again. I mentioned before Zach Eflin. He's only 65% owned in CBS, and he started in only half those leagues, which to me is crazy. He's possible to start next week. Miami and Washington. He's got 22 strikeouts in the last 21 innings, and he has and with through the 3.86 ERA. And same thing by looking at his stats, what he's done for the whole year. If you take out just the Mets and the and the Dodgers that he played, I mean he gave. Of seven runs to the Mets one outing. He gave up six runs, five earned to the Mets one time, and the Dodgers he faced as well. If you take those numbers out, his ERA and whip are going to be so much better. So don't be fooled by those ERAs and whips if, when you see them right away. Second guy I want to mention is Ross Stripling with Hyunjin Ryu injured indefinitely with a forearm injury. Uh, Stripling has been pitching to a 3.65 ERA, a 1.41, 1.14 whip, 31 strikers and in 37 innings, and this is a long-term hold because the 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 Blue Jays are in it. He's proven himself in the past, and they need someone to take that roster spot. So Nate Pearson is nowhere near coming back yet. So Ross Stripling is the guy to go for. He is playing the Yankees this week, though, so I caution you on playing them. Which is why he may be even cheaper this week because people may not want him because he's playing the Yankees. So you can you can put an even lower fab bid on him. True, true. I just wouldn't play him this week. Uh, Unless you're in one of those leagues where you, like, have to play him the same week that you pick him up. Yeah, yeah. I know those Um, exist. I don't play in one of those leagues, but Uh, I know they exist. Tout Wars, we have to. If you pick up Tout Wars, you have to play him. So 
Uh, yeah, but uh, yes, yeah, so if if you can put him on a hold, then then sure. Um, I'll mention two guys. Uh, I'm gonna go back to the NL East. So David Peterson on the Mets. Mets seem to win. David Peterson starts. He's a lefty. Uh, he's playing Milwaukee. And by the way, Milwaukee is not a good hitting team, even though they're in first place. They're not a good hitting team. What's keeping them in the mix is their pitching. Um, and he's also facing Miami. So I think that uh, chance for a win. Mets are a good team. So chance for a win. They're both at home uh, in front of the home crowd. So maybe take a gamble on that. Peterson also has a 53% ground ball rate. So the chance for blowups are minimized when you have a high ground ball rate. Uh, I also like, I mentioned him on the show a couple of weeks ago, but Jake Junis, um, you know, we spoke to Brian Bannister, the director of pitching for the Giants. They really know what they're doing to change around pitchers. Um, he's been fantastic this year. 2-5-1 ERA, .93 whip. His last three outings, one run, one run, two runs. He's only 40% owned, and he's playing Kansas City Royals at home. Uh, to me, that's a start. Uh, and, bonus, the following week, he's to start. So you're getting him for a good start this week. You're getting a two-star play next week. One of them in- includes a home start against Cincinnati. Uh, I think Jake Junis is my vote for who you should pick up this week. Yeah, get that Jake Junis now. Absolutely. All right, Ruvain, time for the injury update. All right, we'll start with Andrew Kittredge of the Tampa Bay Rays. He's going to be having surgery to move, remove a loose body in his elbow. He'll be out at least a month. So whoever closes for the Rays is going to close for the Rays. Don't ask me who because they change every day. Steven Matz, a former Met, had issues, had a setback with his shoulder. If you still roster him, please drop him. He has an ERA of six before the shoulder injury. Why would you want to hold on to him at this point? I think he can, he's an easy drop. Carson Kelly is coming back from an oblique injury. He's currently on his rehab assignment. He should be back possibly, if not over the weekend, sometime next week. Kike Hernandez was placed on the aisle with an, a, fl- a hip flexor strain. We don't know how that how bad that's going to be, so it, it just happened, so we'll see how that works out. And this is NL East. I have to mention some of the uh, Mets updates. First of all, Pete Alonso. He was hit on the hand. He said he has no broken bones. MRI, uh, CT, MRI and X-ray showed no broken bones. However, he said he had the same type of injury last year, and because he didn't rest it for three weeks, he was not the same player. So it's still very possible that even though nothing's broken, they may put him on the aisle. So just watch out for that. Starling Marte with his quad. He injured it sliding into second base. Also, not on the aisle yet. If he can't play by Saturday or Sunday, they still may put him on the aisle, so watch out for that. By the time this airs, Tyler McGill will hopefully have started because he's scheduled to start Friday night. Max Scherzer has begun throwing bullpen sessions, which is great. Jacob deGrom also is trending in the right direction. He's playing catch, um, and he's ramping up and everything. But remember, he still has to have his spring training done again. So he has to build up time. So you have to see how he's going to do, and especially they mentioned about possibly dialing him back So uh, with his velocity. So we'll see how that works out. And a reminder, overall, 10-day IL for hitters, 15-day for pitchers, 60-day IL for players who are on the active roster. They would get taken off the active roster. So if a, play, if a team needs a roster spot, don't get freaked out if a player's been out for like a month and a half and they put them on the 60-day IL. That doesn't mean players are getting worse. It just means they need a roster spot. All right. And uh, that is the end of our show. I want to thank Ellen for coming on the show. Um, before we go, please tell the audience where we can – See you regularly and uh, all things Ellen Adair. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Where can you see me regularly? Probably you can see me most regularly uh, on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair or on Instagram at Ellen Adair G. That's just the letter G at the end. 
somebody else already had Ellen Adair. Uh, <laughs> Fi on them. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm on uh, MLB Network show off base uh, usually about once a week, but it kind of moves around. And I am you know also an actor in various and other sundry things. Amazing. Oh, um, and I have a podcast uh, called Take Me Into the Ball Game. So you can you can look that up, but you can't see me there. It's purely an auditory medium. Yes, that's where you review baseball movies in terms of their baseball input, their watchability. I actually uh, I, I, I had you on the on um, on our car uh, as uh, we were taking a vacation uh, this past year. Um, and uh, we, list, we listened, I don't know, half the way up. Uh, uh, I can't remember which movie it was. It was definitely a movie that my wife saw also. But uh, good stuff. You took us through the uh, through the, the our journey there. So thanks. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for listening. Yes, we grade baseball movies on the 20 to 80 scouting scale used for baseball prospects. That is uh, the absurdity that we've been at for over two years now. There you go. All right, Ruben, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. You can also catch my weekly article on Rotobowler discussing the injuries, next player up, and who to expect and how long they're going to be out for. All right, I'm Ariel Cohn. You can read my work over at uh, Fangraphs. Over at Rotoballer. On Twitter, I'm at ATCNY, the shortest Twitter handle in fantasy baseball, no doubt. Uh, and <laughs> of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangrass. All right, once again, thank you so much, Ellen Adair, for guesting on our show this week. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.